How many times have you felt like a fool because of the stupid things that you sometimes do in your Christian walk? Well, you're not alone. I felt that way as well. But today's podcast, we're going to be exploring how God can even use the foolish things in this world, you and me, to bring glory to his name. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and let's get into it. there, my friends. Welcome to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Jason Jimenez with you as always. Blessed to be with you guys as we continue our study here in the book of 1 Corinthians. And we're going to be finishing out chapter one as we're exploring this period of time. Just, I mean, right out the gate, Paul is dealing with a lot of controversy. So if you've missed any previous podcast, make sure that you guys go check out the previous ones wherever you guys get your podcasts. And while you're at it, You guys do me a huge favor. Make sure that you guys leave us a review. Tell people about this podcast. And I would encourage you guys, and it would mean so much to me, as I have in my travels have talked to several of you guys, which blesses my heart. A lot of times, um, you know, when people come to you and say, I'm reading one of your books. and But, you know, when people say, I'm listening to the podcast and it's really helping me fall more in love with Jesus, man, that is one of many reasons why I do this. So if you're, uh, you know, listening and you, you can share it on social media, that would mean the world to me to just have your backing and your support, uh, because this is our ministry as follower, followers of Jesus Christ, as lovers of God's word, striving to stand strong in the word of God. I couldn't do this without your guys's support, without your guys's prayer, Uh, Many of you guys even listening and downloading uh, this podcast. Many of you have been listening um, since we started uh, years ago. Uh, Fund, help, support financially this, this, uh, this ministry so that we can reach men and women with the gospel, young and old. Uh, to teach them how to study God's word verse by verse in chronological order and giving them proper hermeneutics. So again, if this means a lot to you and you've been listening for some time, uh, leave us a review if you have never done that before. Share it if you've never done that before. But also encourage you guys, we can use your financial support so we can continue to put out content like this and helping Christians become biblically literate. Amen. So this is podcast 217, where we left off. Um, excuse me, this is podcast 218. 217 is where we left off, is stopping division in the church. And we saw that in verses 11 through 17. And let me tell you, I mean, again, there's nothing new under the sun. There was division in this uh, period of time in the early 50s. Um, That's not 1950s, but the early 50s, uh, you know, in the first century, that is. And there's still division today. Paul was dealing with it and we're still dealing with it. And and so the reality is, as, as often as this has occurred in many of our lives, and perhaps maybe you're causing division and you're listening and it's kind of convicting you. And hopefully as we go through this portion of scripture, verses 18 through 31, um, that it really convicts you. And if you need to go back and re-listen to podcast 217, um, then I encourage you to do that because this is so vitally important, my friends, that if we are uh, you know, advancing our agenda over God's, then that's sinful, right? That's being disobedient. And we need to really work through uh, how 
God really wants to use you to bring unity. And that takes a lot of work. And so what's amazing where we left off was when Paul was explaining um, to the Corinthians that he was not building a brand and having a certain unique way or style of baptizing. No, he, he said he came to preach the gospel. So he wasn't using baptism as a gimmicky way of drawing followers, right? Because remember, that was debated, even within John the Baptist's time, and of course, among the Pharisees and Sadducees. And so that just carries over now with Paul's ministry. And he says in verse 17 that he didn't come with eloquent wisdom. Now again, in the Greco-Roman era, they prided themselves on the amount of knowledge and the ability that they had critically and systematically to debate people on the philosophical level as well as on the religious level. And so Paul certainly had that capability. And this is what I love about Paul. And this this really rings, rings true, or rings true, I should say, in my life because as an apologist, I'll tell you, man, I've taken enough classes and been around <laughs> enough people who just like to argue and like to show off about how smart they are. And, you know, when you're around, you know, big names of people who've been doing it for decades, people like Dr. Norman Geisler, and, you know, he, he's investing, you know, in certain, you know, people that want to grow in, in their ministry and, uh, you know, and you have other people around trying to impress. I mean, it's just, it's very off-putting and, and disturbing and it, and it does cause division. And people just want to show off how, again, smart they are. And Paul, in order to address some of the division, he is not competing with that. He's not going down um, that path because he said earlier, if you remember in verse 12, that he says, when you do that, I follow Paul and I follow Apollos or I follow Peter. He says, he asked the question, is Christ divided? You know, that that's what Paul exposed. Remember the, the absurd nature of these divisions that are all, they're supposedly about Christ and they're not. So we know that God in his nature is not divided. Therefore, the body of believers, we make up the body of Christ is not to be divided because it's a reflection of who God is. Remember, Christ was the one who was crucified for the sins of mankind. Not Paul, not Peter, fill in the blank. Any other celebrity pastor that you want to throw in there. Not Jason Jimenez even. Um, we did not die for the sins of people. And so we are to come in that great humility, which brings us now to this next phase where I title it, God uses the foolishness. Because right off the bat, notice in verse 18, he says, for the word of the, of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise in the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, 
Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. All right, I'm going to pause there right here at verse 25. If you're following along, if you have a Bible in front of you, we're going to stop at verse 25 and then we'll pick things up after verse 26 to the very end of this chapter, like I said, to verse 31. So let's go back to this very opening where Paul says, for the word of, cry, cry, uh, for the word of the cross is folly. So what Paul does here, and this is important, there's a lot of connections that you see streamed along in Greek. Obviously in the English translation, we don't see that. A lot of times they park and then they'll have a subheading and they separate. And a lot of times that's helpful to kind of, um, surround itself with certain um, loaded information. But here, what Paul's doing is he's building from his point in verse 17, which says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with the words of eloquent wisdom, least the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So what he does is, and again, as a very simple man, again, highly educated individual, and we know that his appearance, his delivery of speech, he lacked sophistication like many of the prominent Greeks of his time. We see that in Galatians chapter four. If you haven't heard that podcast, you can go check out the whole series that we did, the Bible study on this channel, on the book of Galatians. So we know that he's brilliant, highly educated from the house of Gamaliel, Pharisee of Pharisees, according to Philippians three, but not really sophisticated. But what he's doing is he's pointing out the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. So what he wants to focus in on is, what's really important. Now, let me just say this from the NIV cultural background study Bible it says Paul's rhetorical devices in this section could include antithesis in verses 18. And then we'll see in verse 25 where I stopped and there's a paradox and we'll go back to that in verse 25. So he's using this antithesis and most clearly an anaphora in verses 12, 20 and 26 and an antistrophe so you think, what on earth? The reason why I wanted to make mention of that is because, again, in, in, if you haven't studied Greek and you just kind of look at the English, it, it wouldn't make sense to you. So the way that I parse this according to the Greek and the way that the NIV Cultural Background Study Bible highlighted is so significant with these antithesis and this paradox of how Paul's pointing out God using the foolishness of the world. So let's start with this phrase, word of the cross. So this means the message. This is the logos of the cross, the heart of the message. Christ is our what? Atonement. Okay. He's the lamb that was given for you and for me. So he's our substitute. Okay. So that's where we get the substitutionary atonement. Okay. And so this term perishing I mean, when he's saying the cross, cross is folly to those who are perishing, it, it means to be lost in a spiritual sense. And so there are uh, people who are perishing due to their folly. So I want you to stop and think of who that is in your life that you know right now. And, and not just celebrities that we are aware of, but people in your own family. Now he says here, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. So Paul, what he does is he delivers a message of his Jewish savior who died a humiliating death. Okay, the cross. To die at the hands of the Romans on a public cross of execution style, uh, stark naked, right? That's humiliating. 
But what Paul's pointing out is the Lord used him to minister this to the Corinthians. You know, he exposed their sin and he pointed them to the direction of repentance. You want to talk about unconditional, perfect, unstained, undiluted love? Look at the love of Christ, uh, the love of Christ on the cross. So the words of the cross is folly. I mean, the fact that he died a public shameful death, that didn't sit well uh, to the Greeks. When I was writing uh, my book that's coming out the fall of 2023, whenever you're listening to this podcast, uh, you know, the whole doctrine of atonement to progressive Christians is horrific. It's despicable. They mock it. And that's folly. You see, for them, if Jesus was truly the son of God, why did he die that way? If he, if remember, they even said in the gospels, if this, if you're truly the son of God, save yourself, save yourself. Like you supposedly saved so many other people and resurrected, you know, your best friend, Lazarus, right? And John 11, do it. And then of course he dies and they're like, see, he wasn't who he said he was or what his followers said he was. So the word of cross is folly. It's folly to who? To those who are perishing. But my friends, if you believe in the power of the cross, okay, it's because you're saved. You see the truth and just thank the Lord for that. As I'm thanking the Lord right now, thank you, Lord, for salvation. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins that I was once condemned. I was once lost, but now I am found. And then he says, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. So he uses this reference here now or this illusion from Isaiah 29, 14. And what Paul's doing here to compare to the Corinthians is he alludes to Israel and he uses Israel as an example of a helpless nation. And he goes back into alluding this passage in Isaiah 29. It's turning back to when they're, uh, you know, in Egypt and they were looking for protection against the Assyrians. And who was there to protect them? God. Only God could protect them from their enemies, no matter if it was the Assyrians and, and later on being somebody else. Okay. God protected them from the Canaanites. God protected them from the Assyrians. God protected them from the Babylonians, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. God protects his people from their enemies. So then Paul, when he's asking these questions, where's the wise, where's the scribe, where's the debater of this age? He proceeds to apply another passage now and he goes to Isaiah Chapter 33, 18. So here's what's amazing. Because see, Paul's like, I didn't come with you in eloquent speech. But then in verses 18 and following, in chapter 1 here in 1 Corinthians, he is bringing forth with this illusory method to show his ability to not only highlight certain passages, but to see them be fulfilled and using them in an argument as he's explaining the power of the cross, the power of God. So now when he's looking at Isaiah 33, 18, he's pointing out three highly regarded Greek figures when he's, when he's drawing out scripture, talking about the wise, the scribe, and the age. So the wise man is Sophos. That's the philosopher. The scribe is Grammatios. That's the city clerk. And then you have the debater. That's the disputer. And so what Paul's doing is he's, he's not mocking them because they think they're so smart. So he's not diminishing that side of of their profession if you will he's not diminishing wisdom but he's conveying the wisdom of god 
that is right and true among believers. We'll see that in chapter two, verses six through 16. So Paul is simply rebuking the sages. He's rebuking the orators who have abandoned God's wisdom and truth. It's like when, if you hear somebody making debate, they're, they're making, they're trying to be reasonable and logical. Okay. Um, but yet they're arguing for the wrong thing. Okay. And, and that's what Paul's pointing out here. They feast on their own sinfulness. Okay. So then when he says, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly. All right. So here's now what's so important. Why did it please God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe? Because this explains how mankind rejected salvation in Christ, right? And of course, the Romans and the Greek cultures, they were proud of their might. They're proud of their wisdom. They're proud of their status. They're proud of their wealth. They're proud of their influence in the world. And now what Paul's doing is he's alluding to Isaiah 55. So you go from Isaiah chapter 29, verse 14 to Isaiah 33, verse 18 to Isaiah 55, 8, 9. When, he, when again, the famous passage, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher uh, than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So what he's saying is for the, for he says, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. So the very idea that you exist and you deny the very object in this case, right? Being God, the infinite, everlasting, unchangeable, absolutely perfect God. He says it pleased him through the fall of what we preach to say those who believe, meaning you guys pride yourself in the knowledge you possess and yet is so futile. And then he says in verse 22, see what the Jews do is they demand signs. And then the Greeks are seeking wisdom. But then he says, here's the contrast, as I was saying earlier, the antithesis, but we preach Christ crucified as a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. So he's bringing it back from what he said in verse um, 18. So notice the importance of this. Okay. So he talks about the scribes, he talks about the wise, he talks about the debater of the sage, the disputer, and now he's showing the difference between Jews and the Greeks. So the Jews are representing religion. They rejected Jesus as the Messiah. They knew better. And, and one of the main reasons, and still today, if you talk to an Orthodox Jew, is because they see the crucifixion as a curse of God. They don't see it as the Lamb of God. They don't see it as the suffering servant in Isaiah, uh, who took away the sins of the world, particularly in Isaiah 53. So that's the Jews. Now for the Greeks, they represent philosophy. So you have religion and philosophy. And for the Greeks, a suffering deity was a sign of weakness, okay? So in their mind, their gods were not weak. They weren't defeated the way that Jesus was. So if Jesus was truly God, that would not have happened because they're all powerful and yet God isn't. In this case, Jesus, right? Who claimed to be God. If he was God, he would not have died on the cross. So from the Jew standpoint, it's a curse of God. Therefore, he can't be God. On the Greek standpoint, on the philosophical standpoint, a suffering deity makes absolutely no sense. Not worthy to be worshipped. So disregard it. So on either side, Jesus is disregarded. That's folly. Because Jesus was nothing more than just a Jewish peasant who failed to overthrow the Romans. 
So he uses this terminology now, a stumbling block. This is very powerful terminology because in the Greek, it's scandalon, which we get the word scandal. It means that the cross was considered a scandal or was offensive. It was an offensive act to the Jews. Meaning, if you even believe that Jesus, yes, was a Jew who was the Messiah, but the Messiah would be that, is a total disgrace to Judaism. Okay? So then he says in verse 24, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So now here's these contrasts that he's bringing forth again. So let's break this down. And, and this is important. We can't dismiss this because number one, we have to remember, remember the gospel is for everyone. Whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Greek, it doesn't matter your background, your ethnicity, your nationality. Jesus died for all mankind. God desires that all men be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That doesn't mean that all will be. God's preferred will is that all be saved, okay? God's determined will, sovereign will, was that Jesus Christ would die for the elect, okay? So Paul here is exploring in, in detail of this calling that we've received. This is, this is, all, this is what we're going to be picking up in verses 26 to 31. Those who are called who receive Jesus and realize that we are nothing. If you, if you stop and think, and, and, and I'm sure many of you listening, you're around a lot of intelligent people who are not Christian, okay? So it's, it's, not, a, it's a, not a matter of, you know, everybody who doesn't know Christ are stupid. They're absolute nincompoops. No, we're not saying that. We're saying that you can be smart um, and be misguided. You could be, you know, you can have a 4.5, 5.0 in your, in your education and not be a Christian. So your book's smart. But that's not the same as wisdom. That's not the same as that you're just because you're smart, book smart, you, you have a high IQ does not mean that that translates into you being a person of wisdom, uh, being a person of stature, or that you are free of foolish behavior. Okay. So to the, to the Jews and the Greeks, the, the, the Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, that's the goal here. That's, that's the aim that he's focusing on. And people who reject that ultimately, though they may be book smart, are foolish because they're, they're rejecting the all wise one. So in the end, they're truly not living wise lives, okay? So the fact that the cross of Christ is more powerful, the very thing that they think is foolish is actually more powerful than anything else on earth. So what Christ actually did on the cross, think about this, my friends, is more powerful than the height of the Roman Empire, than, than the United States of America being the superpower currently. That came to a great surprise to people. I love what Warren Wiersbe says, quote, those who have been called by God's grace and, have been, and who have responded by faith, if you go back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 14, Realize that Christ is God's power and God's wisdom. Not the Christ of the manger or the temple or the marketplace, but the Christ of the cross. 
It is in the death of Christ that God has revealed the foolishness of man's wisdom and the weakness of man's power. We are called into fellowship because of our union with Jesus Christ. He died for us. We were baptized in his name. We were identified with his cross. What a wonderful basis for spiritual unity, end quote. Amen. So we, my friends, and when it says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, we realize that the approach of Jesus coming poor in a manger, shepherds to, to a rejected group of people, is all the beginnings of, of, again, he shed, okay, he took off his glory. That doesn't mean he, re, he removed his divinity. What, what is, when he took on humanity, he chose willingly to not exercise certain divine qualities, okay? And that's the beginning. That, the world looks at that and thinks, that's foolish because when you when you look to to follow a celebrity pastor, it's you know a huge following and a lot of money and all this kind of stuff and swag that goes with it. And Jesus came, you know, riding on a donkey, not a, a victorious king like quality when he entered Jerusalem for the final week before he gave up his life. So that's what's so amazing about our Savior, and that's what my friends. In order for us to to um, allow God to use us and to fight against division and stay united, it's, it's, it's at the foot of the cross. Christ is our example. So when he says, for consider now, verse 26, for consider your calling, brothers. So based on all what he just said, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards and not many were powerful and not many were of noble birth. So again, Jesus didn't save the Corinthians because they were a special noble group that they were, quote, worth saving, right? Now, there were some who were gifted, obviously, and held high positions like Crispus, as he mentioned earlier, where he was a ruler in the local synagogue, Acts 18, verse 8. Erastus was the city treasurer in Romans 16, verse 23. But just because they held these positions doesn't mean they were worthy to be saved. The richer or whatever status you have in this world, it's meaningless because without eternal life, remember when Jesus gave the parable, what profits a man if he gives up his soul for the world? So without Jesus Christ, without having eternal life, everything else, my friends is meaningless. And so the Jews and the Greeks, they were so fixated on the things of the world that they were not fixated on the things of God. So when you look at what Christ did on earth, it didn't transfer, didn't, they didn't understand it because it just, it seemed foolish to them. It seemed weak and pathetic. So a lot of times I think about it, the situation where people think beating up somebody who threatens you is the best course of action. I'm not talking about self-defense in a sense. I'm just saying sometimes with having someone with self-control as the Proverbs repeatedly state that person's wiser by refraining themselves and not giving to giving into their anger and walking away in humility, no matter if they feel embarrassed or, you know, people are going to make fun of them. That's the best course of action. That's actually a stronger, wiser person than somebody who's flexing their muscles and want to get in a fight. And in the world, we always think might is right. And Paul's conveying to them the power 
is not in your persuasion or your eloquence of speech or your status or how brilliant, smart, or wealthy you are. The power comes from the cross. So then he says in verse 27, but God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And verse 30 says, and because of him, you are in Christ who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. By the way, let me just pause and say this. Memorize that in verse 30. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Notice who became to us, number one, wisdom from God. Number two, righteousness. Number three, sanctification. And number four, redemption. So I always use that verse when I'm breaking down salvation in the life of a Christian saying, we have the wisdom of God in us. In chapter three, we're going to be talking about how we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. But here he's like, you got the wisdom of God in you. You're righteous, you're sanctified, and you've been redeemed. And then he says here in closing, verse 31, so that as it is written, let no one who boasts, right? Or excuse me, let the one who boasts, boast what? Boast in the Lord, not in yourself. Why? Because he just said in verse 29, no flesh will boast in the presence of God. It's not about us. If we just looked at chapter one, even if we just took 27 through 31 of chapter one and followed it wholeheartedly without compromise, my friends, there would be less songs, worship songs that would be produced and published and put out there that are self-grandizing towards us. Think about that. There would, there would be less books. There'd be so many less things. If we really focus solely on the Lord and not boast in his presence through our flesh, like look at me and look how awesome I am. Look at the attention that I deserve. I deserve whatever I believe comes to me because of who I am. You know, or the worship songs that focus in on like how special we are and how much I'm loved by God and Yes, you're loved by God, but it's not like, you know, if, if I was the only person Jesus would have saved, he would have died, you know, just for me kind of, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's really not honoring of the Lord. It's about you trying to find some type of self-worth in your own pride. Okay. And, and I'm speaking to myself and, and if we just followed verses 27 to 31, we'd kind of read through it and think, oh yeah, praise God, you know, you know, God chose a low, I'm a low person. So that's one aspect. Yeah, that's part of how we're looking and thinking. I'm low. I'm not high. I'm just a human being. I'm not to boast in the presence of God. Um, I'm not all that wise. I'm not all that smart. Many of you guys know that listen regularly, read my books. I'm dyslexic. You know, so I struggled growing up with with having this learning disability and had to work really hard and trust the Lord and, and have a lot of tutors and coaches and take certain classes to really train my brain to process information and to kind of overcome some of these obstacles. And by God's grace, you know, I'm doing what I feel God has called me to do. And, and, and I don't boast in myself. As the Bible says, let the, the one who boasts, I boast in the Lord saying, God, thank you. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And, and if we just, if we just live like that more and more as I'm, as I'm striving to do that in my mid forties, man, we would be united. And so here in the broader context, you know, Paul's pointing back to Jeremiah 9, 12 through 24. 
And, and, and the whole thing in Jeremiah 9 to what he's saying here at the end of this chapter is, my friends, we bring nothing to the table. You know, God's criteria, um, it's not based on our criteria. You know, we, we, we don't implement certain standards to God and he obliges. Uh, you know, we don't meet God in the middle. When Jesus came into the world, he turned the world's standards upside down. And that's why we, we don't boast in ourselves. We, got, we offer God nothing. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a bondservant, as Romans 6 explicitly lays out, we offer our lives, okay? Not, we don't offer our lives in exchange of some type of contract or agreement. We, we offer our lives because of his mercy, because of his grace, because we've been redeemed and we become the righteousness of God. And so I want you guys to take heart that God uses the foolish things in this world to shame the wise. So yes, you feel stupid at times. You do dumb things. I do as well. We ask for forgiveness. We learn we're human beings. We're fallen people. We're saved by grace. We're redeemed creatures. We're holy. We're sanctified. We're loved. We're part of the beloved. And as Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24 says, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he who understands and knows me, I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. My friends, I pray that's true for you in your life, that you, you, you don't take the credit, but you honor the Lord. And you surround yourself with people who call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. That's what I'm praying for you guys. Hey, listen, I pray that this time that we had in 1 Corinthians 1 has been a blessing to you. If you have any questions, I want to make sure that you guys know that you can email me at info at standstrongministries.org and we'll make sure that we can respond to you guys and answer any questions or even let us know if you have a prayer request, how we can pray for you and let us know, not just leave a review out there, but you can even email and let us know at info at standstrongministries.org what this podcast um, means to you and how it's growing your faith and teaching you uh, to stand strong in the word. So I appreciate you guys. Love you guys. Until next time, keep standing strong in the word of God. Oh,